0: If you've got a Bible, please turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're continuing in our Galatians series where we're talking about seriously good news. The gospel is seriously good news. Uh, I've probably told you before, but I used to play football. Uh, I still attempt to play football now. uh, But I used to play football, and this guy was my manager. This is a guy called Francis Joseph, who uh, he was a professional footballer from the age of 16 up to uh, whenever he retired and then he became a coach. And he looks really nice and friendly there, but he was, uh, he was quite a stern guy. He was quite sort of uh, rough and ready, uh, used sort of choice language, which you're not really sort of, allowed to use now with youth players. Uh, and regularly as you were walking past him, he would test your strength by grabbing your arm and seeing if you could break it and sort of, before he got, you know, you'd wrestle with you. He's like a proper old school football coach. Uh, which i used to i loved it because i thought that's you know it's good lads being boys being boys bit of rough and tumble that sort of stuff it was good fun uh but one time he he called me aside and he said uh, after training he said i'll just hang on a minute aaron i need to talk to you i was like oh okay this seems a bit serious and in the context of that it was serious in the grand scheme of things it wasn't serious because basically i'd been playing badly i know it's hard to believe the the ability that I have I've been playing badly and he said he's quite an imposing guy and he sort of said what's going on what he said why do you think you're in the team I was like "Uh, I don't know I'm sure there should be a reason and we had this conversation and to be honest it was quite intimidating and I felt sort of a bit like oh I feel like I've been dragged over the coals as they say and he noticed this and at the end of the discussion he said to me don't be upset because we've had this conversation. He said, you know you've been playing badly. He said, if you know you've been playing badly and I don't say anything to you, that's when you need to start worrying because that means I've given up on you. Right, that means there's, there's no potential for you to, to move on from where you are. You've, you've reached your limit. If the coach is talking to you about problems, don't worry. If they stop talking to you, that's when you should worry. This morning we're going to be looking at seriously good news about living the Christian life. So we're going to read Galatians 3 verses 1 to 14 and it should come up on the screen. But we're looking at seriously good news about living the Christian life. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that those of faith, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you all of the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Father God, I pray that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit again to us. We thank you that you're present with us through your spirit. We pray you would teach us this morning. Bring scripture alive to us. In Jesus name. Amen. Paul is doing with the Galatians a little bit what uh, Francis Joseph, my coach, was doing with me. He could see they weren't performing in the way that they were meant to and he was taking them to the side and saying, listen, we need to sort this out. He hadn't given up on them. He could see they were messing up and so he was addressing the issue and I want to encourage you that actually this is something that is regularly happening, not necessarily frequently, but regularly happening in the life of a maturing Christian. God will be speaking to you about things. Because unless you're perfect and God has finished working on you, in which case, so long, because you'll be leaving soon. Unless you're not listening when God is speaking to you, or you don't have openness where people can talk to you, these sort of conversations are gonna be happening. Now, it might be that you're reading the Bible and God highlights something to you through the Holy Spirit. Or it might be that you're meeting with uh, some close friends and, and you're sort of praying together and talking together. And actually, one of them is able to challenge you on something. Sitting down together, you know, last time when we were at your house, the way you spoke to your wife. It's not on, bro. Got to sort that out. we need to be encouraged when we have these conversations because they're not, that's not the bad thing, the bad thing is if no one ever challenges you on any of your behaviour no one ever challenges you on any of your behaviour, you're either perfect or people can't speak into your life and I would (laughs) Simon's probably the first one he said I, I would wage I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I know which horse I would back. Because having these conversations, in, there's a there's a rigor to life. There's a there's a, a challenge to just living life and doing it well, that requires us to learn how to lean into God in and into the gospel. Not in new ways, but seeing things from a different angle. It's often talked about, like the gospel. Jesus is talked about as like a, a diamond. And it's like you, you see one facet of the diamond, one face and you think, oh, I'm undone, that's amazing. And then actually, the gem turns. It's like, there's, there's stuff here that I didn't even know. And actually, as we, as we lean into God, as we lean into the Gospel and learn more, as we see from more angles, when times are good, and it's not a big deal, when it becomes, when we come up against something that's a big problem, we're able to, to cope with that better. We're able to find solace in the gospel. We need to practice this so we don't become unstuck when problems occur. We're going to kind of walk through these uh, 14 verses a little bit, and then I'm going to draw out a few points of application at the end. Uh, is that work? Yeah, okay. So, uh, this, this or the aim of this section of the of the letter is it marks a, a shift. Actually, it's sort of there's been an introduction in the first two chapters. Uh, and this is the beginning of the sort of the main section uh, and as Andy mentioned uh, last week some parts of Galatians are quite dense uh, a few of the commentators in their books refer it to a, a kind of shorthand theology Paul says some stuff or he sort of writes some stuff down and it's not fully developed in the way that it would be in say his letter to the Romans so some of it is quite dense but it's pretty uh, comprehensible I think But in this section, he's continuing his challenge to those who would try and encourage the Galatians to adopt works of the law. Specifically, they were talking about, uh, well, most prominently, circumcision. They're often referred to as the Judaizers. But rather than addressing the people who are distracting, he speaks to the Galatians. He asks them a number of questions about their Christian experience. Then he begins to sketch out some strong theological arguments and he uses Old Testament references because when they're talking about scripture, when they're referencing scriptures, they're using Old Testament because that's all they have. They're writing the New Testament. They're living it. But he uses those Old Testament things which the, the people who are trying to convince, hey, you need to, you need to get circumcised. You need to be, sort of, do these things that are to do with the law. That's their turf. They're the ones who are going, hey, look, this is what it says in the scriptures. You need to do this. And Paul actually says, hey, you're going there I'm happy that's my turf as well let's look at what the scriptures actually say so we're going to uh, walk through these verses a little bit and I'll just uh, talk about a few bits so he begins by saying oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified now some people would say this foolish should actually be stupid or idiots. And it should be, it should be you stupid Galatians, you idiots. It's that strong a language. It's, you know we don't say stupid in our house. We're not allowed to call each other stupid. We try and encourage the girls not to do that. Um, and well, Joseph, he can't do anything anyway. Um, but it's, it's strong language from Paul, and he's saying, who has bewitched you? And this word bewitched, there's some debate, people say it doesn't mean spiritual attack, it means just like someone who's just drawn your eyes away. I think the truth is usually there's an element of both of those things, but this idea that they're foolish, they're stupid, they're lacking logic, applying it to themselves. If you look logically at what's happened in your life, Paul's saying, you'll see someone has distracted you from the gospel. This bewitching, it's like drawing the eye away. And it contrasts with pu- Christ being publicly portrayed. It's like, it's like there's been a big billboard, you know, an advertising board, and it says, Christ was crucified. It was vividly depicted. And they've responded to that. And then something over here has caught their eye. It's the kind of thing that's going on. Paul is saying that when he preached to them, it wasn't just... The gospel wasn't like, here's some historical facts and here's some eyewitness accounts. It was, it was powerful, it was vivid. On Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul talks about when he preaches the gospel, it's not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and in full, with full conviction. So he's saying, Don't, your, your eye has been taken off the price, you've been distracted. He then goes on and says this, did you receive the Holy Spirit, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I think this is often slightly overlooked but I think this is one of the, this is probably for me the key uh, sort of hinge of this section. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's not just regurgitating what he said at the end of chapter 2. He's actually pushing them onto something else. He's saying, You know you began by the Spirit. You know that's how it happened. That God, the Holy Spirit animated your spiritually dead life. Salvation is by faith. Receiving the Spirit is by faith. So I said, The Spirit is the breath that animates. The spiritually dead and Paul saying now that you, you know you you began supernaturally are you now trying to carry on in a natural way <coughs> these are slightly rhetorical questions the art the are meant to go oh yeah oh that is that is foolish we know this why are we now trying to follow a different path now it, Paul's not saying, don't work hard in partnership with the Spirit. He's saying, you're not going to be perfect by natural effort. A supernatural life requires supernatural effort and energies. We're saved through the gospel and we grow through the gospel. He then goes on to say, did you suffer many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's continuing to draw on their experience, their Christian experience, their conversion and being filled with the Spirit. But he switches from their perspective to God. He's saying, you know that you didn't earn it, so do you think that you did something that means God was compelled to do something? It's not if they receive, but if God supplies. Does God respond to to works, to people doing good works? Does he go, You've fulfilled these parts of the law well here you go here's some righteousness or does he respond to those who hear the gospel and have faith he responds to those with faith Paul answers them with that and he shifts his into his theological argument he says just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness That's how you get saved. You believe God, and it's counted to you as righteousness. This is a reference of Genesis 15 to illustrate the point that God responds to faith, not works of the law. And He uses Abraham, because the the people who are trying to encourage the the Galatians to be circumcised, they are using Moses. They're saying, "This is the law. This is Moses. This is you know, this is the the, the, the true way." And actually. Paul says well, hey look at Abraham he's before the law but he was counted as righteous because of his faith because he believed God he believed God he didn't just believe in God this is important you can think I, I, I've, I know the things I mentally I, I've accepted these things Yep. Yeah okay it's real I believe that I believe that I believe that but you believe in in God rather than believing God do you believe what God says about you I think it's so helpful what Matthew was saying earlier about the Christian life is about discovering our identity and who we are realising who Christ is the credit that's been given to us we've been credited with righteousness when you when you mess things up obviously there needs to be repentance but do you remember I've been credited with righteousness it's not about my performance I want to work in conjunction with the spirit I want to work hard but actually I've been credited with righteousness These the Judaizers are dangling the carrot this is how you become a true son of Abraham by observing the law and actually that's not what It's not what the gospel says. The gospel says those who have responded in faith. They're Abraham's descendants. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, Paul says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The promise to Abraham was that through his descendants, through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That promise comes before the law. Do you see why well, that's important? The promise that by faith you'll be made righteous comes before the law. What is this blessing that Abraham received? This righteousness? It's right standing before God, acceptance before God. And Paul's saying here that God was saying all the nations would be able to receive right standing before God through Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. The law in and of itself is not bad. It's a demonstration of the wisdom of God. And in fact, these verses say, if you can keep the whole law, you'll live, you'll have eternal life, you'll be righteous before God. The trouble is, only one person has ever been able to do that. The God-man, Jesus Christ. It's the only one. Therefore, everyone else who attempts to keep the law, it says, is under a curse. Curse, in contrast to being blessed. Abraham believes God and is blessed. Attempting to keep the law, do it yourself, earn it cursed. Blessing versus curse. If the blessing is right standing before God, acceptance by God, the curse is just the opposite. It's rejection. The blessing brings acceptance, justification and life. The curse brings rejection, condemnation and death. Here's the seriously good news of the gospel. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us through the cross. He brought us out of the contract of the curse, that redeemed. It's like when someone's in the army and they've got 10 years left and they want to get out and they've saved up enough money and they go, well, this is, this is my contract left, I can buy myself out of the contract. Or a, a sports player, you know, a footballer on a team, they can buy themselves out of their contract in order to be able to play for another team. That's what Christ has done for us. We were contracted to the law, contracted to the curse, and he's paid, paid our debt off so that we're free to have a transfer. In him, we can enjoy the blessing of God's acceptance, justification and life. The evidence of this is the spirit at work in us. The spirit at work in us. We'll see that later on in Galatians, but we'll look a little bit more at it now, just a tiny little bit, because I want us to respond to that key question of Paul's. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's an important question for us as individuals and as a church as a church we were born started planted grown whatever terminology you want to use we were born out of a move of the spirit having begun in the spirit are we now trying to perfect it in the flesh are we trying to aim for the best church that we can make or are we trying to aim for the church that the Spirit of God is building. In your own life, having begun your, your life with God by the Spirit, are you now trying to perfect it by human effort? If you think, oh, maybe I am, don't feel bad. That's the natural bent of human existence, the human race. Every religion is based on the idea that human effort, however big or small, will result in an individual earning salvation or enlightenment or whatever it is. That's the way we operate. I could, if I just work hard enough, I can do it. I can be that kind of man. I can, I can be that kind of woman. I can earn it. Christianity stands in stark opposition to that. It recognises we will never attain the standard required. And even us who are, we we know that, we've we've come to faith, we've heard the gospel, we've seen Christ vividly portrayed and responded in faith. We still drift towards this attitude of, I need to do something so God's happy with me. We drift to it. Or oh, I haven't done something so God's unhappy with me. Now there's, a, there's a, a measure of discipline that takes place by God. That's the way that a father treats their children. I discipline my daughters and <laughs> eventually my son when he's a little bit older. Um, but we, Parents discipline their children but they still love them. If you really love your children, you'll discipline them. So despite knowing that we've begun a supernatural life by the Spirit, we can drift towards human effort, which is why Paul's challenge to the Galatians stings a little bit, even as much now as it did then. Because we need to realise we never outgrow the gospel. Jesus is enough. and he talked about Jesus plus nothing last week a little bit. We must respond in faith to the work of the Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit brings life through, uh, through faith in Christ, not just at the point of salvation, but continually as we live out the Christian life. It's the same Holy Spirit that brings the dead to life, who continues the work of bringing us fully into life we must continue in faith rather than drift to works. If we want to experience the Spirit's work in developing and growing us to maturity in Christ, we need to apply the gospel to ourselves repeatedly. This is a guy called uh, D Kaufman, says this, Christians think that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. But we are not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. And that sounds good, doesn't it? But what does that mean practically? How do we do that? Well, it means if there's an area of our life that we recognise is out of step with God's will, it's not, we're not living in the way that God would want us to, an area of disobedience, is because we're not applying the gospel to that area. I'm just going to read uh, a quote from a guy called Tim Keller. This is a good a book that we've been using kind of in the the preparation Galatians for You Uh, it's very accessible I think i I found it anyway this is uh, Tim Keller talks about uh, we rely on systems of self-righteousness we drift towards human effort the way to progress as a Christian is to continually to repent and uproot these systems of self-righteousness in the same way that we became Christians, by the vivid depiction or re-depiction of Christ's saving work for us, and the abandoning of self-trusting efforts to complete ourselves. We must go back again and again to the gospel of Christ crucified, so that our hearts are more deeply gripped by the reality of what he did and who we are in him. So we should not simply say, Lord, I have a problem with anger. Please remove it by your power. Give me the power to forgive. Rather, we should apply the gospel to ourselves at that point. Paul would tell us that uncontrolled bitterness is a result of not living in line with the gospel. It means though we began with Jesus as Saviour, something has now become our functional Saviour in place of Jesus. Instead of believing that Christ is our hope and goodness, we are looking to something else as a hope, to some other way to make us feel good and complete. Instead of just hoping God will remove our anger or simply exercising willpower against it, we should ask, if I'm being angry and unforgiving, what is it that I think I need so much? What is being withheld that I think I must have if I'm to feel complete, to have hope, to be a person of worth? Usually deep anger is because of, this is just using anger as an example, usually deep anger is because of something like that. It might be that we want comfort above all things and someone has made our lives harder so we grow angry with them. It might be that we are worshiping other people's approval and so get angry with anyone who in some way thwarts our bid for popularity and respect. Something becomes our functional savior and we need to apply the gospel to those areas of life. We need to repeatedly apply the gospel to ourselves. We need people who can challenge us like paul does with the galatians we need people who can spot these things in our life go actually i've seen this is not right we talk in this church about different levels of discipleship relationship we talk about 72 a 12 and a three a big group of discipleship like this a 12 being in a explore group a slightly smaller context where you can be known and be open with people where people can challenge you and say, hang on, what's going on here? And being in a three, being in a, a close-knit friendship group where you're, you're sort of running together. You know, you're pushing each other to go, you know, we, we, could, we can go faster, we can go further. We can, we can be more devoted to Christ. We need people to challenge us like Paul does Galatians we have a a value of development we say this we want to build a culture of development we will encourage and challenge one another to grow in our faith and relationship with God as a church we provide opportunities to train and improve both abilities and character who is speaking into your life who's able to speak into your life Having begun by the spirit, are we now going to be perfected by the flesh? Is there an area of your life that you think, I'm I'm trying to earn my salvation in that, I'm trying to please God in that, in a way where I think, oh, he won't love me unless I do this. You know, it could be, it could be any number of things. When were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? The encouragement to be filled is that is it says, go on being filled. You should be regularly asking God to fill you again with the Holy Spirit. If we want to live a supernatural life, a spiritual life, we need spiritual fuel in us. We need the Holy Spirit's energies in us. We need to work alongside him, not just human effort. When did you last assess your life? Or have you kind of got a nice little rut where you think, actually, I'm not really hurting anyone. No one's really annoying me too badly. I'll just sort of drift along here for a while. What is your growth strategy in the Christian life? Do you know how to preach the gospel to yourself and apply it to your life? And who can speak into your life? We're going to finish, I want to pray for us and then I want to encourage us to uh, not just rush away but actually maybe find a three today. Find someone who you can relate to today or think about it. Is it possible for the band to come back up? We can just sing sing one song. Is that okay? Yeah? I want us to respond to this this challenge to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Having begun in the Spirit, let's not just drift into human effort. So let's just, as the band play, I want to encourage you, receive from God. Ask God to fill you again with the Holy Spirit. You can sit, you can stand, whatever is a, a sort of, an attitude of receiving from God, a a physical posture of receiving from God for you. Let me pray while they're getting ready. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit once again. We remembered uh, Ascension and Pentecost a little bit earlier. We want an early Pentecost, Lord. We want a a refreshing of your spirit. Your, Your words, Jesus, were the rivers of living water would flow out of us lord i know in my own life that rivers of living water are not constantly flowing out of me sometimes it's it's more like a trickle or someone's turned off the tap and lord i pray you would fill each and every one of us again that rivers of living water would flow from us that we would know how to apply the gospel to ourselves And in doing that, we would be able to apply it to other people, to demonstrate to them how Jesus has won righteousness for them. Jesus has won acceptance for them. Jesus has won significance for them. I pray we would be good at assessing our lives. We wouldn't be proud, but we would be humble, humble with one another, sharing and opening our lives to one another. I pray as we as we sing this song Holy Spirit come and meet with us fill us again in Jesus name